Hey, it's Chris Urban. Welcome to the Triple Clicks Video Game Marketing Podcast. I had a chance to talk to an old friend and coworker and now client, Nathan Stewart, who runs the Dungeons & Dragons brands for Wizards of the Coast. We recorded this at the D&D Live 2019 event in Hollywood, and I was able to pull him away and talk a little bit about the growth of D&D, the mainstreaming of nerd culture, their partnerships with Stranger Things and Rick and Morty, and I even got him to tell a few GTA 4 stories from his time at Rockstar. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Nathan Stewart is in the house. What's up? Thank you for joining. We are uh, we're off site at a remote location in Los Angeles at D and D Live 2019, The Descent. I think it's year three of this. I just talked to Joe, and we talked about the first year. It's kind of year three, although you guys have been in it since the beginning with us, and so I count the uh, live from Meltdown as really kind of year one. Good one, yeah. You know what I mean? So when you think about it, like this is year three in its kind of current formation, but we did that kind of tiptoe into it with uh, the live from Meltdown. Learned a lot of learned a lot of valuable stuff. Yeah, no, that's right. We did that one, which was fun. You did Seattle. And then, it's our second year here. Second year in this location, location, yeah, which is great. Uh, Tell people what is today, or what is this weekend, and and what are we, what are we doing, and why are we here? Yeah, so as you said, uh, it's the descent, uh, and that's a a play on words because uh, we like to get people a little hyped up and excited and tease them about the thing. But what this is. intended to do is like unveil our new storyline for the year so that all the D&D players and products and everything are going to you know kind of rally around this big story and the story is Baldur's Gate descent into Avernus and so basically we're taking one of the most beloved and iconic cities or locations in uh, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, so many millions of people came in from Baldur's Gate, the video games, and uh, and then we're coupling that with, uh, you know, just a trip straight down into the first layer of hell, and uh, and I think hopefully, like the the, the players are going to try and get back out of hell, uh, you know, but there's uh, there's all those elements of redemption and uh, and what would you kind of trade, you know, for this? You got to make uh, make tough choices in there. So this event is really about being fan first, fan focused. You know, I mean, we brought in all the media and the press and everything, but we announced the products live on the live stream with our developers, with our designers, with a live audience so that the fans are hearing it from us first and getting that out there. So we talk about the story, we talk about the products that are going to support it for the rest of the year, and then we announced a couple of new products. We, uh, we announced the uh, Dungeons & Dragons versus Rick and Morty RPG adventure. Uh, that's kind of following up on our uh, really popular comic series that, mm-hmm. uh, that's been out. Uh, now they're going on uh, season two, I guess you call it. Uh, and then we also announced an expansion for one of our uh, casual card games. That's a Baldur's Gate themed expansion. And then we have on the main stage almost ten hours of uh, of live game stream out there with some really fun, talented folks. And then we've got four mini studios uh, over in the uh, over in the Emporium area where we've got almost 160 different uh, streamers that uh, streamers and podcasters that we've brought in, and they'll be doing all kinds of stuff. Some stuff that's related to the new storyline, some stuff that's related to Ghost of Saltmarsh, which is our product that comes out in a couple of weeks or a week. Um, so really, this is just like a big celebration of the D&D community, the streaming community, the influencers, and then we bring all of our partners here, and they're showing off their new wares and selling their products. 
it's amazing. It's it's really grown into something big, which is, and we'll get into the D and D stuff. But I just want to kind of encapsulate what we're doing here. So it's literally product launch, as well as a three day stream. Fans are paying. What's the price? What's the ticket price? Three hundred dollar ticket price. Three hundred dollars sold out. Everybody bought tickets, and it's for a three day pass to watch the D and D stream live. So what? How many? So you've got a main channel, and then in the in the Emporium, which is a retail section where all of the licensors come in and can sell their product. And then you've got, we've built four pop-up stations that are going to be used and scheduled out. And are, are they on essentially their own channels on that? No. Um, what we're doing on those, one of the things that we learned last year is that we have so many great creators and so much content, uh, but that not everybody uh, is a Twitch watcher. And so last year, I think we uh, went on Twitch and Steam um, but so what we do in each one of those pods is we're doing um, each one of those pods has one D and D Twitch channel, so like D and D one, D and D two, and then it's on our Facebook in one of the pods, and then the other gotcha. ones are street are uh, different battle. channels, different platforms. Per yeah, pod. so we're trying to just you it's know good. spread it out, hit new fans, like just making sure we're going where the fans and the players are, right? Because not everyone you know likes this tech or that tech or that login or whatever. Yeah, we cr- last year I think we crushed the. The um, the number of concurrence, mm-hmm. um, which was which was great, and this year I just felt like last year, just, if you didn't like this game, you might drop off and come back. And instead, this year we've got like multiple channels and lots of lots of content to pick from. Yeah, and the, <clears throat> the team did something really cool where they kind of take the uh, you know the NFL red zone. Uh, we've got all the different ones kind of pop in between. You kind of pick the one you want. So if you go to the main page on, on D&D, it's got all five you know nice. uh, feeds going on there, and you can switch between and pick the one you want. That's crazy. Uh, so for clarity for people listening, I was in charge of Dungeons & Dragons 15 years ago, a long time ago. We didn't do anything like this. Like We did like we were launching third edition. There was no technology. It's crazy. And now you're here. And Nathan and I go way back. He, we, I think we started working together when I was running Madden. You were at Xbox. I want to say 2005. I want to say 2004, 2005. Yeah, for Madden 06. I mean, when was Alexander on the cover? Uh, 2007. He was Madden. 2006 was Donovan. 2007. I thought we did Donovan. A little bit with Donovan. Oh, yeah, because Donovan was for the launch of 360. Oh, we started working on that one. Yeah, we worked on that one, and then we did Madden Mississippi. <laughs> Madden Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. Shot Talk Tribe still owes me a couple hundred dollars. That's right. That. Nathan plus 200. Chris <laughs> not. crushed me on that, at that casino. Did that, and then you left and went to Rockstar and uh, worked on a title. I think it was called Grand Theft. Yeah, Grand Theft Auto. I remember that Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And you did a lot of stuff there. Uh, Came to EA, worked with us at EA, which was nice. You opened the the door for me on that one. I left the Madden franchise, and I brought Nathan in to replace me. And then uh, we both left Florida, lots of reasons, (laughs) Florida. Um, And then you landed Dungeon Dragons running kind of the franchise. And now it's... Like, I still can't wrap my head around how, in a digital society and as big as gaming is, how big Dungeons & Dragons is now. Can you talk a little bit about the size of the brand? And, like, like if I 
asked you, you know, if I didn't know anything about Dungeon Dragons, are people still playing that? Like, yeah, what's the response to that? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's crazy because it is bigger than ever. And when you think about a brand that's 45 years old, and we are in the 45th year of Dungeons and Dragons, and we just got done with our most popular, biggest, best year ever. And we had more players, more sales, you know, more notoriety than ever uh, last year. And we're still growing, and it's just crazy. Um, you know, so that's that's pretty overwhelming. Um, and I think that when you talk about we live in this world, this digital world, and you got this kind of tabletop game that's still super um, relevant, even more so than ever right now. I think that um, you know the digital really does play a part in it, though, right? Because at the base of it, we've got fifth edition, which is a great rule set that really took the best parts from kind of all the previous editions and pulled it into one. But from the very beginning, they always wanted to make sure that it was accessible and that it didn't feel overwhelming, and that it let the creativity of the player at the table be the number one driver as opposed to sometimes the editions were really like the rules were the driver right and so we were like no it's the story and it's the creativity so they made an amazing engine right so this is a great tabletop engine that works really well whatnot invites people to in really easy uh, and everything um so that was great like that's the base but we know lots of great products that don't blow up like we've been blowing up right so i think the other two major factors in that are um you know, geek culture is at like an all-time high right now, mm-hmm. and fantasy is, you know, fantasy is mainstream, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know who's not watching Game of Thrones finale tomorrow, you know I mean? Or I guess it's not tomorrow, it's two days. You know, um, Lord of the Rings, you know, um, The Hobbit. I mean, when you're when you, when you're taking a world where you don't have to explain to someone what an elf or a dragon or a dwarf yeah. is, you know, that's a really great place for us to be coming into with our great entertainment. And then third, but definitely, you know, one of the biggest keys is the rise of um, streaming, the rise in accessibility of online videos and personalities on there has been huge because in the old days, you know, if you kind of were maybe interested in D&D because you had a buddy or a brother or someone was playing or whatnot, you'd be like, hey, I want to play D&D, but you kind of didn't know what it meant. Right, because you hadn't really seen it. You know, you saw them carrying their book bags, and you saw the graph paper and the weird shaped dice. Yeah. But you were like, "What is all? Like, do I need a do I need an English lit major to play? I mean, do I have to be really good at math? Like, I don't get it." So now you you know you turn on, you watch Chris Perkins DMing, or you watch Matt Mercer DM and his group of friends, and you're like, "Oh." It's a group of friends. They're goofing off and having fun. Like, sure. I didn't see him pick up the book once. Yeah. So now you know what, like, getting into D&D means. Your basic rules without having to read the books. And, you know, you're getting yeah. to see kind of the expression of it. Well, and I mean, you and I, you know, we've worked in video games forever, right? And you remember when we were first in the industry thinking about, like, hey, why are we printing this instruction manual? Does anyone ever read it? <laughs> and we all finally just kind of took them out and put them online, right? Because we're like, nobody reads the instructions. Yeah. You know, so to f- the fact that we were basically, you know, kind of positioned as, hey, you got to read this 250-page instruction book before you can play, uh, you know, that was that was a, a hurdle. And so now you're like, you're watching them, and you're like, oh. No, I just come to the table and play. Yeah, and I think part of it was finding a DM back in the days and, and not understanding kind of what you're getting into. Yeah. And now you can see kind of the execution of that. And you still have, I mean, I'm sure finding finding your game or, or pulling that stuff together is still always a challenge because it's a, you know, it's a people thing, right? Yeah. And I know I've seen people that play, play on Skype, right? Yeah. And so say I've had the same DM for 20 years. He's He lives in Chicago and I'm in L.A., but yeah. like we Skype and kind of, so technology can help. 
that helps bridge the gap too. Yeah, because I mean, so many times people have stopped playing because they're, you know, their gaming group, their core buddies. You know, they 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 split up, and so they're like, ah, oh, lost my but This is who we, used to, you know, and uh, and you form these friendships around the table that are just so strong that you're kind of like, oh, I don't want to play if I can't play with my butt, you know. Yeah. And then yeah, so being able to use Roll Twenty or Fantasy Grounds and connect remotely is pretty cool. And I think the celebrity thing is interesting to me. We, you know, when we were running it, I was trying to put together a list of celebrity players, and we would put together a list, and they would be like, eh, "Don't talk about it." Like Robin Williams literally would ask us for con- for books, yeah. but we could never tell anybody that he played D anD. d Like he would like it was just we we wanted to be able to use him for PR, and back then it was like, "Don't tell anybody that." Don't tell anyone. Yeah, and now you've got Joe. Uh, Manganello going literally on Colbert talking about his passion for like the only reason I'm on the show is because Colbert wants to get into my game and so I'm going to talk about it for 14 minutes yeah. like it's you know the, the geek the geek culture being cool is one thing but like going out and taking like uh, you know the Arnold Schwarzenegger of our days this muscle muscle bound man going out and telling people how much he loves D&D is just such a pivot from where it used to be yeah, and I mean, it's funny, right, because you never think about the, uh, hey, we want to show, you know, the face, uh, you know, that it's, you know, it's not who you expect plays, and you yep. kind of think that means someone small or tiny or darker color. It's like, no, it means a six-foot-five giant of a man, right? And he goes out there, he's like, I play D&D, so what? You know, you want to come play? Yeah, it um, just knocks down the borders. But the best part uh, in that Colbert uh, episode that he did is, I mean, basically, they started talking, you know, they instantly had a shared language, and then Colbert kind of turned the audience he's like hey a bunch of you guys might not know what we're talking about i don't care we're doing it anyway <laughs> yeah. it was literally he i had him on and we had talked about how he he never went on that show before he had, he goes on the tonight show was his show yeah and his wife goes on that show and he was like hey how do i get into your wife's game and he's like you gotta ask him your show i'm not helping you get into anything so it's a funny dynamic and i just think it's it's so um it's just proof proof of uh the growth and strength of the brand and well, one of the neat things that you're kind of describing there right is this kind of like secret handshake that like you know kind of got uh, mm-hmm. in the door so dungeons and dragons now in hollywood uh there are so many i'm gonna call them backroom games but i mean it's not it's just you know weekend games where we've got these writers and directors and actors and creatives that are playing D together and like that's you know that's the new club and it's like hey i want to do this movie with so-and-so and everything you're like can i get in the D game you know so that we can talk and bond and you know the modern day po- like toby mcguire screwed up all the poker games so people are playing D now. yeah so exactly. it's it's you know it's, it is that backroom game but that's what it's like i mean honestly it is you know it's kind of becoming the poker game where it's like hey group of buddies getting together on the regular sure yeah it's about playing but more it's about getting together and talking and bonding and spending some time together yeah no it's amazing what's the big revenue driver books obviously licensed um, yeah, I mean, books are still the um, the number one, uh, you know, the most sales and everything. Uh, but uh, we do a lot of different businesses, you know. So uh, we have the stuff, the, the books that we publish, and we've got kind of the dice and miscellaneous that comes out with that. We've got great partners, um, WizKids, Scale Force Nine. Um, those are two of our major kind of accessory ones that help around the table. Uh, for people new to this, WizKids. 
to talk about what they're what they like, do. What's important for for yeah. your because that built like those businesses. They are licenses. You're making revenue off that, but like is critical to the growth of the brand in general. It's not like a like hey, I'm in charge of Batman and we're gonna have people make Batman shit. Yeah, like this stuff is kind of critical to the gameplay. Yeah, it's it's really like a symbiotic relationship, you know, because um, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, you know, can be played with they call a theater of the mind. You know, I mean, we could be playing D and D right here on the couches and not have any minis or maps or figures or dwarven forge cool castles and all that. Um, but um, but a lot of players like that tactile experience, and they like their players brought to life, and you know, kind of see what the battleground looks like and stuff. So, with a lot of our partners, they're creating the um, the little accoutrement, if you will, that you know, kind of brings it to life. And so, WizKids makes um, miniatures, and uh, at first, they just started with uh, pre-painted miniatures, you know, just so you could kind of have your your rogue, you know, your tabaxi rogue or whatever you play as uh, represented. Uh, but uh, Kale Force Nine was doing um, unpainted. Uh, minis, but like you had to do like a lot of work to like put sure. together and paint it. And then WizKids has then found out that there's like another market where people want to paint them, but they don't want to be like experts. You know what I mean? It's sure. like I want to. That shit's hard as hell. Yeah, it takes a lot of time. You got to dry this, do that, or whatnot. So it's kind of like the I just want to make my character right. I want to make custom. You know, if my character wears purple boots, he wears purple boots. Um, so those guys do that. Also like maps. Also like terrain. Um, you know, dice is obviously a big part uh, of D and D. Everyone loves their dice. We're so doing that, and then it just kind of just you know branches out from there. I mean, sure. you, guys, you talk to Joe. Uh, you know, he started a, uh, a streetwear line called Death Saves. Death Save is a thing from Fifth Edition that you have to roll to make to see if you die, die. Uh, and then uh, Matthew Lillard and his partner started a company called Beetle and Grim. So they saw the stuff that we were doing in the books, and they saw the stuff Wiz Kids and those guys were doing, and they said, "Yeah, but what if we could make it like a." lot cooler like kind of like Hollywood prop style you know what I mean so like what you guys are making is like the kind of toy and accessory like what if we you know what if we made $500 boxes that had the stuff sure. in there um, you see that in Hollywood with hot toys yeah hot toys figures are this much and the, you know these figures are this much and like scale it by revenue yeah so it's, pr- it's pretty fun to see and then you know there's just a a whole bunch of different partners. We've got our partners at 10 Speed Press now. They just announced or we're showing off some of the um, young adult uh, books that are kind of getting you into the monsters and the dungeons and Dungeons and Dragons, but kind of taking it out of the game. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a good time. It's a good time to be in D&D. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the numbers are crazy. How, how does it, what else is, when you talk about licensing, so that makes the tabletop experience grow, but you're also, now you're getting into that. You've got a digital yeah. You've got a digital app, um, you've got a digital business, and you've also you're working on the the video game kind of strict strategy. Talk about kind of how how that helps kind of grow the brand. Yeah, so the big drivers for the brand for us, you know, as you're looking forward, uh, you know, we're going to continue to uh, to support the existing tabletop business and all of our partners there. Um, we really want to expand our licensing and be in more kind of um, you know kind of fashion and Harlan just kind of culture of it because there's so many people that live and breathe it now. So that's a, a big growth opportunity for us. Um, the other places that we're really looking to grow is video games, and uh, you know we do have some licenses out there. There's a, a mobile game right now that's in soft launch. It's going to be launched at the end of the month, um, and we've got uh, three other video games in development right now, um, and one of them or two of them. Uh, are going to be published by Wizards of the Coast. So we're, mm-hmm. like, really doubling down in that space. And uh, and that's just, you know, I mean, that's the strength of the brand, right? I mean, not only 
uh, did we all think it'd be a great idea, you know, to get these video games going? But we said, no, we're going to invest. You know what I mean? We're going to yeah. build talent around it. So that's a really, that's a big step for the company. And when you when you say get them going, you mean get them back? <laughs> when get them back? <laughs> when I when I ran Dungeon Dragons, we had given all those licenses up. So yeah. like we were making okay money on the books, but someone else is making better money on Baldur's Gate and yeah. Forgotten Realms. And, you know, World of Warcraft is based on your IP. Like, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of things that you know, Dungeons & Dragons being 40 years, 45 years old, started that groundswell. And, it, you know, there was mistakes made at some level at some point where that yeah. stuff was gone, but now we've got good management in, and that stuff is, is being brought back in and managed. Yeah. Now, now the business is really healthy, but it, you know, you're bringing back kind of that stuff. You guys have always been good about art yeah. and owning art. I mean, I think I saw a stat that wizards kind of creates about 10,000 pieces of unique art a year. Like when you roll in magic and Dungeons and dragons and all those oh, yeah. kind of magic's pieces. a much bigger creator of art and we're, and we're a pretty big one. So, yeah, I want to say that it's probably eight to 10,000 pieces of original art a year. I mean, it's a crazy number, but like when you go, like, and you guys go back, and I know that the TSR days, which was the original Gary Gyax and the, and the founder and creator and the original companies um, that did that, but you guys own all the art. So you've got like this treasure trove of yeah. content. Um, so it's good to see the business model spinning off and, yeah. and kind of taking those other things because I think it feeds back. You're still going to have your Thursday night game, but to your point, like, what am I going to do on Tuesday and Friday? Yeah. I, I want to engage and, pl- and be in the world. Yeah, and that's the deal, right, is that, you know, uh, getting around, playing around the tabletop, that's, you know, that's so many people's favorite way to do it. But getting, you know, five, six of your friends together for three, four hours, it's tough, right? I mean, time's tough. You you know, you got business trips, traveling, family, all that stuff. You know, so what are you going to do when you're on the road? What are you going to do when your friends can't get together, right? So, uh, you know, I mean, I think the big thing for us is just like, you know, we've got all this great art. We've got these amazing worlds that have been built over time. You know, we're fantastic storytellers. And so we, we've we kind of taken this mantra where if we're if we're not capable of delivering it at the at the highest level, you know, if we're not the best in, in class in delivering this type of thing, then we want to find a partner who is best in class and bring that entertainment to life. So the same thing like when you're working, you know, on, uh, on movies and TV shows and cartoons and stuff, right? Like we're not experts in that space, you know, so we're going to partner with people and find it, but uh, but we want to really be there telling the stories and making sure that the characters and the worlds that we've spent so much time and energy over 45 years bring into life, that we bring it to the fans in a way that they really recognize. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I think one of the interesting things that I look at, too, is retail. So when I was running it, I had the core stores, and that was the bread and butter of everything I did was yeah. to, to feed those areas. You have Amazon. Like, and when you guys, you guys will launch a book and you'll be like, this is a small book. I'm not going to put any effort into marketing this thing. This is just something we've got these kind of beats coming up. I just need to release this book. And then that book's number one on Amazon, like in the all books category. So it's a, it's a monster retailer. It's a great platform for you. How do you stay true and authentic to the core stores? Cause that's where your core customers kind of still live and breathe. How do you maintain support and help those guys when you still have Amazon driving a, a probably a much bigger percentage of the business. Well, I mean, I think the you know when you talk about kind of your core customers uh, in there, I don't think that that's really the 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 way we think about it anymore, right? What we think about is we've got these different groups of customers, and they're you know they come from different walks of life or different you know tenure with the brand, and so 
we've brought so many new players in from amazing, you know, like Stranger Things has really opened up a lot, Critical Role, Pain Arcade, you know, all these different places have brought in these new fans. And younger and newer fans, they maybe have never even been to a hobby store, right? So it's, you know, so it's not like they wouldn't go there. It's just not part of their natural life. And different so, parts of the demographic shop in different Yeah, areas. so the newer, so a lot of the newer players, they just don't. They shop online, you know, whether it's Barnes & Noble online or Amazon or some other online, they're buying online. So what we try to do is we try to make sure that we just have really good touch points with uh, all of our different kind of major groups of fans and figure out where they're, you know, where they're naturally buying this stuff, where they want to shop. Because a lot of um, core hobby stores have built relationships up with their players over years and they're really loyal and they want to go in there so what we've done um and actually this is a new thing that we've done this year for uh all of our books we started dabbling a couple years ago with doing um alt covers we call them um just for the core hobby stores so like if you want you know the baller's gate descent into avernus uh you know hydro 74 did the cool alt cover on that we do it in a soft touch and foil and all that so if you want that version of the book you got to go to your your local game store. That's not on Amazon. Yeah, it's that collect. It's that call. And you and I are both in the shoes, but it's that <laughs> call. It's the colorware. Yeah, kind of the way you flip the, the shoe, whatever colorway you're going to play. Yeah. Uh, in different things. Which and is, so yeah, which I so think it's great. I I never thought about like. I think it's right. Like, if I got a touch point from D&D and I got it from Stranger Things or I got it from over here, and then I go into a core store and it's like, wait, this is the one I was expecting. Like, I'm not signing up for this. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I want to touch it in the way that I felt comfortable yeah, engaging right. with it. So, yeah. yeah so, you know, when you're watching Stranger Things, you're obviously on Netflix, you're spending a lot of time online, you know, what's your no one's thought. I heard a stat the other day that, um, like, 60... 60- Maybe it's not 60%, but uh, maybe it is like 60% of all products are just start on Amazon, even if they're not buying it there. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, they'll look for it there, you know, read up about it, get the customer reviews and see it. Even if they're going to go buy it in their game store, you know, they'll still use it as a, gotcha. you know, like a Google. Yeah. Um, because if it's, Google is kind of like your, your meta search, right? But if you know you want to buy a product, then you start on one of the biggest retailers. Yeah, and I think if you Google stuff and you try and see that stuff, you're going to see stuff that want people. You're going to be marketed to as opposed to Amazon. You're going to try and get that original kind of consumer feedback. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. You talked a little bit about um, critical role and and some of the other side businesses that have built an industry on the back of the IP. But there's got to be a relationship there that works both ways. How does like critical role is a, is a massive business? And some of the other businesses that are out there, Penny Arcade's a great example. How do those relationships work? How do you work with the Penny Arcade guys, which you've done amazing things at PAX in Seattle? And you, I know you have a deep relationship with, with Matt Mercer and I'm sure um, all the things that he's building. How do those collaborative relationships work? Because from a marketing perspective, they make a ton of sense. How, how, do you, how do you collaborate with them? So, I mean, the essence of Dungeons and Dragons is, you know, everyone being around a table and kind of going for the collective win. So the nice part is, is that everybody who's, uh, you know, springing up their their side hustles, you know, related to D&D, you know, they kind of are already, you know, collaborators in general. And then also we all have such a deep, fun love of Dungeons and Dragons that they don't ever want to do anything wrong by the brand, right? There's there's a great sense of reverence, you know, to the brand. They want to show, you know, they want to pay homage. They don't want to, you know, try and rip off the brand. They're not trying to do that. So it's uh, it's really great because, you know, basically when, 
we're talking to people and you know if they're if they're starting to get big and you know we haven't met them and stuff i mean how i met matt mercer is i uh, you know i followed him on twitter and i just direct messaged and i'm like hey you know i'm loving the show it's cool stuff uh love to have you you know come by wizards and talk to us sometime you know and he's just like oh psh, that'd be so you know so uh you know validation per- yeah particularly with like matt mercer and those guys and stuff you know, we started bringing him in as, in as a consultant pretty early on, right? Because he's a creative. When was that? How long ago was it? Um, three years ago, four years ago. It was the first okay. time we, like, officially brought him in, you know. Um, he's just working on the show, uh, not even owning it at the time, I think, working on the show, partnering on that thing. I mean, I, he's best known for voice talent and doing yeah. that stuff and then building out these, these yeah. other shows. Well, the so neat thing about that one is that so that group of uh, – folks they're all friends who started playing their D home game uh, you know so they were all voice actors and a lot of them doing video games and cartoons and stuff and uh and so they were uh they started playing D off camera for like about a year before they took it on camera and uh so they've always you know kind of quote unquote owned it and and did that thing and their their big thing was like we always want this to be like true to the fact that like you know, we're a group of friends playing, having fun. When this stops being fun, you know, yeah. if it's too much of a business, we're done, which is funny because now it's... Yeah, it's got $11 million in a Kickstarter for an animated show, so yeah. it might be officially a business. Might be, yeah, and by the <laughs> way, you know, Critical Role is, you know, now the, the company that brings you all the stuff and they're... Literally you know, trending every Thursday night, and I guarantee you people are like, the fuck is Critical Role? Like, every yeah. Thursday night that thing is trending. Like, well, it's crazy. U.S. You know, stats. I don't know if we've talked about this. Do you know when they premiered season two... Uh, that they had 150,000 concurrent viewers for four hours. Wow. I mean, that's, that's got to be better than half the CW shows, right? That's crazy numbers. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. Like, I was super excited to talk to him, but, man, it's a, it's just so it's so healthy how you guys don't crack down on that, which you shouldn't. Like, yeah. you're playing it perfectly. Yeah. It's just that, it's just that, like, in other spaces, like, that doesn't happen. Like, yeah. in other spaces, people will be like, hey, I need a revenue check. I need to, like, we need some control of this with the IP. Yeah. I think it's being played really, really well. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one because in some cases you can kind of look at these folks as competitors. But in the other case, you look at uh, the fact that, uh, you know, I mean, they really are getting more people interested in playing Dungeons & Dragons. And they reach a much younger um, demographic than we ever have. Yep. Um, I'll tell a story. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know if uh, the folks in this one. Uh, that's fine. Uh, so there was. A, a, no, I'm excited. I don't know if you saw last year we put out the ABCs of D and D and the one two threes of D and D. Well, so it was this really interesting moment where um, there was the ABCs of RPG out, uh, and it was uh, a guy named Ivan Van Norman who's done a lot of critical or not critical, done a lot of geek and sundry shows, and he's a big RPG guy, and we knew him. People in the office knew him. I didn't know him, but know of him. Uh, and then this guy Caleb was the artist on it, and I follow I followed Caleb's Instagram forever because he does really good art. Um, and so they put out this great book, but I'm flipping through it, and I'm like, oh, they. Uh, <laughs> They stepped over the line. I mean, they ripped us off in a lot of places, but not on purpose like it was. You know, it was out of love for the thing, but they're just like, that's trademark, that's trademark. Lots of knowing the business side. Yeah, so this is what I did. I don't know if I've even told uh, Ivan this. I uh, I called up Matt because I know that, uh, you know, they would have known each other on uh, Geek and Sundry. And I said, hey, Matt, is this Ivan guy a good guy? I mean, would you would you go into business with him? He goes, well, it's funny you say that. We're actually working on a game together. Like, yeah, I am going business. And he's like, yeah, he's really great and stuff. And I said, okay, cool. So then I call up Ivan. I'm like, here's the deal, Ivan. Love your book. 
It's a little too close to D&D. We got a couple options here. Option one, how about we buy you out? We let you redo the book as ABCs of D&D and do a one, two, three of D&D. Uh, and we publish them and uh, and, sure. so and whatnot. I go because the other option is I just have to ask you to stop selling this one, so I don't want to take it away from the world. Yeah, you know, want to do the thing. So I think we try to be you know pretty pretty no. human and ethical. Because they're a huge company. I mean, like whatever you you could do whatever you want to do. Like when I was there, when it was yeah. you know when it was Wizards of the Coast. Now it's Hasbro Incorporated. So yeah, yeah there's definitely lines, and I think that stuff is great. I I think it's interesting to see. I think like what I. I love, like, we do a lot of art with you, and we bring yeah. in Hydro, and we do a lot of the cover stuff, and I think that, you know, I think I called you, and I'm like, we should do a fucking coloring book. Yeah. And then you were like, yeah. And <laughs> I was like, coloring book. I, I know this guy who loves D&D, and I'm a friend of his, and he does great art. His name's Todd James. Yeah. And by the way, he's kind of famous, and he's probably kind of, we can't afford him, but, like, let's see if Todd will do a coloring book. Yeah. And Todd And Todd's like, cool. I've been hanging out with him a handful of times now. He's a, he's a super he's a good dude. dude. He's, he's the, guy. like, he's the guy, he's, you know, fr- the beast, the original Beastie Boys logo guy. Yeah. Uh, does the crank yanker puppets. Like he's causes right hand. Like, well, I was going to say, I mean, he got started doing like graffiti in New York around the real, cause time. Yeah. Real street, street graffiti guy. Cause came to our, uh, our launch event, which was amazing. So it's, it's fun. Like, but if you try to buy a, a Todd James painting that's a quarter of a million dollars yeah. um, but if you sit down with him you're like hey would you draw 136 pictures of D&D shit and let's put it in a book he's like fuck yeah he's like, like when do you need him tomorrow yeah like <laughs> let's go so it's just like finding the right people that are passionate about your business yeah. and, and you can find different well, that's kind the, of avenues and that's my them. favorite part right? I mean I think that's the real deal is that um, you know now we get to be a little bit choosy when we do this stuff and we're like hey is this you know is this meaningful to you is this touch your life and uh, you know and when it has then we know that you know we're both coming from a place of love and it's going to be really cool so I mean that's how you end up making this stuff that blows people's mind right is because you get creative talented people who love the thing and when you put two or three or four of them together then it's exponentially higher right it's not a commodity business you know what I mean yeah. it's a business of love yeah no I think that's right talk about Stranger Things so <laughs> season one comes out it's kind you, of a surprise. Yeah, you and I are probably both like I'm in LA and you're in Seattle, and I go, oh, "Fuck, Stranger Things." I hear good things about this. You turn it on, and the entire show is D and D. Yeah, like no well, calls. People told you, right? I mean, because the funny thing is, like, I think I was like a week or two late on the on the thing. People are like, "Oh yeah." I think I called you. and I was like, "Hey, are you watching this fucking show?" Because yeah. like D&D. they're just playing D and D the whole time. Well, that's the funny thing, right? Is I, people are saying like the D and D is in it, like really big time or whatnot. And then I watch the show. I'm like, no, the whole show's yeah. D&D. Like it's not product placement. It's like. By the way, the story is based on the thing. Yeah, they're a D&D adventuring group, right? I mean, my favorite part in season one, and if I'm spoiling season one for you now, it's then too late, too late for something. Yeah, but my favorite part is when um, they're all on the train tracks, like walking. They made like an electromagnetic whatever to find thing. They're on the train tracks, and one of the kids kind of questioning, like, wait, we're walking towards the danger? Like, why are we walking towards? Like, that's every D and D adventure, yeah. right? Hey, there's a cave and a dragon down in the thing, and you guys are probably all going to die. Why are we going? Cool, let's go in there. <laughs> it's it, it's great. So I I fall in love with it. I call you. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? You're like, I have no idea. Season two comes out, which is great, and now we're on season three, and you have licensed product, and you've built a deep relationship with with yeah, these guys. Yeah, so you want to you want to skip a step there, which is after season one. You know, we kind of reached out, um, and so we started working with the prop master super tight. 
uh, for season two and season three. So basically, we just started like, "Hey, you guys are reading script." I was like, "Don't tell me." Like, yeah. I didn't, no, you were no, like, I, I didn't, I didn't sign the NDA because I didn't want the script. Yeah, so like, was yeah. Perkins reading them? Chris uh, Perkins. Chris did. Liz did. I think someone else did. And they were like, they were like, "Hey, do you have?" I'm like, "I got no advice. I don't want to read it. I want to watch it. I yeah. don't like. There's nothing I can do to help. Like, I, I just, yeah, I, I don't want to see the story. Me I want to watch like the, the show." Yes. Um, so yeah. now you guys are doing license. I think you've announced. Have you announced all the products? Can we talk about them? Uh, I don't know if we've announced all of them. I know right now we're Let's focusing on stuff. the. Uh, what, are we t- what are we talking about? Um, well, the problem is on one of them. I don't know. I don't know. What I think we announced the starter set because well, the starter set's out. Now. Starter sets is it? It's out it's available. Out, you can buy it. I yeah. did not get that box shipped to the office. By the way. Well, I know. I'm sorry. Let okay. Get your, let's, get your get, case. let's get that shit um, fixed. Yeah, we'll get that fixed. Johnny, but. Johnny, who's listening or doing our sound here, his kid's seven and wants to get into D and D, and he's going to use your game, the card game. But I told card him card game's a good intro. Strangers Things box set. Yeah. Beginners number one selling toy I saw on Amazon when I checked on it. Yeah. Um, so that's coming, and then you have more goods. So when season three drops, we've gone from they, the 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 uh, the guys love the yeah. game are now we've got licensed products. Yeah, so we have licensed products on there. Not only that, we're collaborating on the different stuff with the prop masters. We're trying to coordinate with the talent and um, get to do some stuff together. Um, and then, um, I don't know if you knew a guy, he was also an EA guy, but he was a Microsoft guy, Chris Lee. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so Chris Lee's over there now too. And so he works on stuff. And so like, he shoot me a thing like, Hey, we want to do this collab on his side on stuff. They're doing on stranger things. Can we get, so they did, um, he did a Funko pop Demogorgon. Demogorgon's clearly ours. Uh, you know, Funko Pop's a great place to put those things. Yeah, and so he was like, you know, hey, uh, can we, you know, can we do this? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> We're big fans. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so it's uh, so we're getting a lot more, you know, kind of collaboration, a lot more heads up on the stuff. Uh, Mike Merrill's uh, actually did a bunch more uh, work on the um, on the Stranger Things sort of that didn't make it in there on the adventure um, because kind of collaborating back and forth with them. So I think we've got. Um, I think we got some some runway to do some more cool stuff. Um, that's awesome, and that's how the, that's how you build the relationship. I mean, they probably were like, "Fuck it, let's just use the brand and see if we get in trouble for playing D anD D on the show without going through legal." And Netflix yeah. isn't catching that. And then, you know, now we're now we're doing licensed products, which I love. Well, that's similar though. Like on um, Big Bang, like I don't know the Big Bang ever <clears throat> cleared anything. Um, you know, the first couple times they had it on the show and stuff, but then that like almost was like this almost last episode where Joe and uh, you know William Shatner and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, and you know Kevin Smith are playing D and D on there. Like I was, you know, I was side stage watching all the stuff, helping them change pronunciations. You know, like oh no no, no here use this stuff. Like that Hydro's the latest player's handbook out there, uh, you which know, is so. crazy because they have their own card game, right? I know. But they, so they're not using magic, but they're like oh, yeah, I can't fuck with. D&D. D&D, though, so like yeah. we're really gonna play D&D. Really we gonna can't make D&D. up our own thing. Yeah, and I mean, I think one of the highlights of my life was uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Um, now, how do you pronounce it? Is it Otiag or Otiag? Like, and you know, I'm just like, I've kind of seen it all. Yeah, and so you know, so uh, have you met Kareem? I haven't. Okay, so obviously super tall, everyone knows that, but uh, he is a like an avid, avid reader, and he's a big kung fu fan. And so on the Bruce Lee stuff. So Joe and him like geeked out over some like crazy directors with some crazy document and stuff and like so they start nerding out going deep right and you're like oh oh he's kind of he's kind of like our people and then his uh his handler um she comes over after and she's like hey 
think Kareem would like to learn how to play D&D. And I'm like, Joe, can Kareem come over to your house and play some D&D? So, like, I think we're going to make that happen. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. And uh, I forgot about his passion for Kung Fu. He was in the Bruce Lee, he was yeah. in the Bruce Lee movie, and we're doing some Bruce Lee stuff right now. So that oh, would be nice. great. To, let's have him come down to Comic-Con. Yeah. Because we're going to have Bruce Lee stuff. No, um, we should talk the lady, I'll connect you with the lady. I mean, she, her big thing on him is, right, like, uh, she's, I forgot her name, but, like, her whole thing is, like, you know, how do you take legends and make them icons right so like she's really helping them kind of you know get out there across all the different spots you heard it here first let's literally i'm gonna call bait and we're gonna have kareem yeah. come down for comic con oh, which would be awesome oh, man. uh the other one i, I gotta love. pick up my uh, i gotta sign jersey joe's got a four minutes car oh there you go so, uh rick and morty so talk about dan and, and rick and morty and how that collab came together and, and where it's going you, i think you announced it today now, how hot is that? I mean, come on. Rick and Morty d So the best part is that... Uh, how did it get started? What was the original? What got article? started is that the, uh, the comics. So basically, um, IDW, who's our comic partner, um, I don't even know how this came up because Oni Press is the, uh, the partner who does uh, Rick and Morty comics. And so somehow they came up with this idea and they pitched it and like, hey, would you guys be into this? Like, it's kind of wacky and irreverent. And like, I think they were maybe thinking we would say no because it wasn't like, you know, in world or whatever kind of stuff. And like, they threw them like, that is awesome. Like, yes, we were so in. And then when we started seeing the art come through, um, Troy Little uh, has done a ton of it. And you just see the art and it is so good. It's so yeah. fun. Comics are great. Yeah. And so, uh, and then Jim Zub and Patrick Rothfuss were writing. So we're like, oh, well, we love those guys. Those guys are so D&D. You know, and if they can do Rick and Morty and uh, D&D, it's going to be great. So once it started coming out, we just, when we were looking and we just said, like, why aren't we doing a, a, a collab on a gaming thing? So our only um, thing that was kind of holding us back is we ran through internally kind of three or four different game concepts, like a board game version that was maybe a little less D&D. And then we were looking, like, do you do this kind of product or that kind of product there or whatnot. So it was, you know, it was never a should we do the product. It was a what? what's yeah. the product. Um, and it's... So what did you announce today? Is it an adventure game? Yeah, so we're calling it... So the, the comic was called uh, Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons. So we're calling this Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty RPG adventure. Cool. Um, so it's a box set, uh, and basically you get the, the rules and everything in there to run these uh, custom, you know, bespoke bench. But basically Rick has gone in there and, like, rewritten all the rules. Like, he took the stuff that Jeremy and the team wrote, and he's like, fuck this, this is gone, no, this is never going to, you know, screw you guys. Like, you know, so the whole thing is just, The fifth you know, edition only. Yeah. Fifth edition part two. Yeah, so it's like basically Rick going, yeah, yeah, you could do that if you, you know, if you suck you know like you're, <laughs> so uh it's really fun it's really irreverent um and uh you know it's nice because uh jim uh helped contribute a lot on it so he was doing the comics so he's you know really good at writing in the world uh and then kate who's leading the project uh you know she's just a huge fan as well and so she you know she really gets the uh you know the angle and where the humor comes from so it's just like when we work with someone who loves D and it always helps them kind of get the spot so she's you know she's a big fan on that side so she was a natural to lead the project um and you would t- we were talking about the different places you know for shopping and and kind of our different pockets of players and stuff like that so another reason that this really popped up is um believe it or not target has been huge for D and uh, in the last couple of years, like they really, really are uh, doing a lot of good stuff, and they love D and D, and they got a lot of customers coming in that we're not seeing on Amazon or in the mm-hmm. on the stores. And so I see your end caps, I see end caps, yeah. figures, and everything. We got a new end cup coming up for the essentials kit. 
It's not a huge end cap at Amazon Bookstore. I know. In Bellevue. Like, yeah. I mean, like a massive yeah. kind of space, I which is great. Yeah. But so the Rick and Morty, when we were looking at the, you know, kind of what the product should be, um, we went and we talked to our friends at, at Target or whatnot, and we're like, hey, how's, uh, you guys sell Rick and Morty? So we're like, oh, yeah. And so we're like, oh, well, D&D is good and Rick and Morty is good. So we made a product that we knew would really kind of pop to that audience awesome. because we knew that they were there. When does that, when does that launch? Do you give a date? I don't know if we gave a date. It's a fall title. Okay, so this fall. Yeah. And Stranger Things. Stranger Things just came out. So Stranger so Things that should enough. be, uh, you should pretty much be able to get it anywhere now. Okay. And when is the Baldur's Gate that we start talking about today? Ooh, What's the schedule? September 17th, I want to okay. say. Pre-order today yeah, on Amazon? pre-order today on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, and... Uh, and then next uh, next week we've got Ghost of Saltmarsh coming out, uh, and then um, in three weeks or four weeks, September, uh, or June eighteenth, we've got the uh, the Acquisitions Inc. Uh, book coming out. So that's a full adventure from Penny Arcades. Yeah, nice. And not only that, but you know, like Chris Perkins is you know basically DM like ten years on stage stuff there. So like all those things that they've kind of built and created through the years, they popped them in there. So like when weird things would show up in the table adventure from the mind of Chris Perkins. Remember that uh, mechanical uh, mech beholder that mm. Matt Smith made? Yep. Yeah, so that's like in the book, statted up so you can use it in your game. I miss Matt. I like I Matt Smith. Uh, Chris Perkins, we don't really get along. Because uh, he killed you. He killed, my, he killed my character. I don't feel like you have to have a weird name for your character in D&D. Like, having Johnny Utah as your D&D character seemed like a fine name. Yeah. But apparently that shit didn't fly. Like well, Johnny Utah died quickly in my first game with him. Do you think he targeted you? I feel like, it, like I... Th- I didn't. I didn't put the point break connection together. Like I just thought Johnny Utah was a good name for That's a good character. Name. That's good name. Speaking of which, you uh, you see uh, John Wick threes out. Like I was like, wow, I'm kicking myself that we booked this. I literally did the Mortal Kombat launch event. And we had it scheduled for Thursday night, and I was like, shit, that's the opening night of Marvel. We need to move that to Wednesday. And then I was like, oh, if I, if I knew I was going to be stuck here, I would be at John Wick right now. Yeah. So we should, like, we'll, we'll sneak, it's like right sneak down the road at the arc. Seriously, we should sneak out to me. And by the way, it's getting crazy good reviews. So yeah. uh, kicking myself for not seeing that yet. Um, but there you go. There's you know, Johnny Utah lives again. He died like Keanu's the man. Uh, thanks for doing this. I have one. I'm not going to let you go without... I want your best <laughs> rock star story. Like, I should have drank, give you a lot of liquor during this interview so you could tell me a good rock like, star. Because there's some good stories that people won't share. But uh, you, <laughs> GTA 4, what was the driving game you worked on? Midnight Club, Los Midnight Angeles. Club. That was good. Uh, Bully. What, yeah, what was it like in that in the building? Like, well, not to throw so shade on anybody, but like, so, well, here. I lo- like no one loves their games more than I do. I used to beg you for swag from that shit. You got good swag. Yeah, I got yeah. amazing. I still you got have the lockbox. I got everything. I loved that brand, but uh, like, I, I own a video game agency. I can't work with those guys. They they don't. They have zero interest in the shit that I do. They're like, yeah. fuck it. I don't need any help. I'm just gonna launch my game and make. Seven hundred well, million dollars. I got a couple stories for you, so I'll give you one that's kind of more like a you and me story. That's kind of more business, but whatever. But it just tells you what I got myself into, right? So, uh, I go to work for them, and one of the reasons they hired me is because when I was at Xbox, I, I worked really closely with them, and they're um, they're very insular. You know what I mean? They don't kind of trust everyone on the outside, but I gain trust over the time. But they also knew that they're not 
like the most open and kind of you know um, uh, mainstream when it comes to like Best Buy and working with different things and stuff. So one of my main jobs there was actually um, the marketing partnerships between like retailers and outside folks and stuff because I had so much kind of contact in that space. And so I did a lot of traveling representing the brand. And so uh, I think one of my first trips I was going out to see Target and Best Buy in Minneapolis and, you know, I go out there and, you know, uh, the travel agent books me at this um, this crazy uh, boutique hotel downtown and I'm just like, wow, I am living large, right? And I go and I go to the thing stuff and I uh, and I come back and, um, and I'm filing my expense report and my boss calls me in and she's like, you, uh, you ran out of Ford Taurus? And I'm like, yeah? And I'm like, Oh crap! Did I like violate the policy? Was it was I not supposed to get a full size? Or like, I mean, I don't. I mean, that's okay, right? And she's like, "No, here's the deal. You were always representing Rockstar." She goes, "You get a Cadillac Escalade or a Lincoln Navigator, or at worst, at worst, you get a Lincoln Town Car." Don't embarrass us with your you know, cheap yeah. lifestyle. And so I'm like, "I was one dude, right? I'm going oh, yeah. to target of one dude. I'm not gonna." Get a Cadillac Escalade to roll up to the thing. But it was like, so yeah, those are the three cars you could choose. And it was pretty much, you could go Lincoln or Cadillac. They didn't care which one you went on the thing. And if they didn't have it by some chance, you could get the town car. But if they didn't have it, then you call you call okay. Keisha and be like, Keisha, give me the, you know, <laughs> give me the, awesome. the rock set. So that one was one of my first entries where I'm like, well, I'm not in Kansas anymore. My second story. Because that shit doesn't fly at Microsoft, just by the way. <laughs> like, yeah. that's, that's not a Microsoft policy. That's a different policy. Uh, my second story, I don't know that anyone knows this one. I'll probably get in trouble on this one, but uh, tells you what kind of place it was, too. Um, so one day, um, we're in the, the thick of GTA 4 uh, stuff. We'd announced it, but it was just a ton of work going on, everything doing. And, um, and all of a sudden, this, um, the lawyer from the sixth floor, so Rockstar is owned by Take-Two, um, and technically we're in the same building, but it's pretty, you know, church and state. And not even all the Take-Two's people's fobs would let them in on our floors, but we had to let the lawyer uh, have her fob work. And so she comes down one day, and she puts a big empty cardboard box in the middle of the floor there, and she says, here's the deal. I'm going to leave. Uh, I'm going to come back at the end of the day, and I'm going to take this box. When I leave, I would like anyone in here who has branded weapons, any weapons with Rockstar's logo on it or Grand Theft Auto's logo or Manhunt, anything that's company-branded weapon, I need you to come and put it in this box, and I will take it at the end of the day. No questions asked. We're done. And, uh, and she leaves, and I'm like, okay. And then all of a sudden you see someone get up, and they drop a punch knife in there and uh, with rockstar branded <laughs> manhunt branded rockstar it comes over and there's one of those clubs that uh yeah. you know like people beat whatever you know those grand theft auto san andre like starts filling up the box someone goes over there with a garrett you know what a garrett is no. it's uh it, it's the you ever played hitman yeah. Yeah. So the thing, the metal thing, oh, that has yeah. these handles on them. Yeah. Someone goes over there and drops off a branded Garrett. Someone comes over there, like you know, like an AR-15. <laughs> there was a prototype. We never yeah, sent those sure. ones out, right? And that box filled up so fast, so fast. And I was, um, I was talking to one of the guys over there. I'm like, you really put all your weapons in there? And they're like, oh no, I got a, I got a couple still <laughs> taped under the desk here and hidden in the drawer. I'm like. All right, but somebody flagged the lawyer about the weapons. Yeah, but then like a month later, we were getting samples in for GTA Four, and we got these shock pins. And so you know, tasers 
drop like 50,000 volts through and kind of do the thing, but they had these pins that just did 10,000 volts. <laughs> and so we were, uh, we were seeing if we wanted to get some GTA 4 branded shock pins. <laughs> I had it. <laughs> Edit. Did you know I was going that way no, with the story? No, it's good. No, I, I. That's what I wanted. I wanted a rock star story. I had a similar weapons problem. Oh. Do you ever know about the grenades I bought? Did you ever hear that story? No. So I'm running Madden. I'm in Florida, and uh, my friend Lincoln Hirschberger. I love Lincoln. Is is in L.A. and he's they're making Battlefield Company. Yeah. Um, and on bad the, company. Bad and they company. Got the grenade with got smiley face on the cover. And he calls me, and he's like, hey, I need you to do me a favor. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? He's like, I need you to buy me grenades. And I'm like, what was that? And he's like, look, we got a grenade on the cover. I want to – I think this is before <laughs> before the Godfather sent out the brass knuckles as gifts to yeah. people. <laughs> so he calls me, and he's like, yeah, I need like a, probably about 350 grenades, dummy grenades that don't work, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Just old grenades that just don't work anymore. Yeah. And – you can buy anything in Florida, and we just yeah. can't buy them in California. So I was like, fuck it. All right. So I get But then Trina. he wanted you to ship them. He wanted me to ship them. So I get Trina. Uh, <laughs> poor Trina. Poor, oh, I'm not putting my fucking name on these. So I get, <laughs> I get Trina, and I'm like, yeah, I need you to do me a favor. I'm going to need a Starbucks, and I'm going to need about 350 grenades <laughs> shipped to the San Jose airport. Um, ship to the airport. Well, he wants to pick him up at the airport. So she's like, how am I going to do this? I'm like, oh, you're in Florida. You can find 350 grenades. It's yeah, not yeah, that tough. So she she finds a manufacturer that takes dummy, broken military weapons, and we paint them, and we ship them. Two weeks later, I get a call from Lincoln, and he's like, fuck. And I'm like, what? He's like, I think we just shut down the San Jose airport. Yeah. I think my grenades are... <laughs> So he, we actually literally had an airport issue with three. I love that you guys sent him to San Jose because I mean, ears was obviously halfway. Oh, I'm not sending him to the office. But you're yeah. not sending him to the office, but not only that, but you didn't send him to uh, SFO, which was like slightly closer. Uh, no, to that. I felt like there was worse security in San Jose. So yeah. I've got like, yeah, I want to have Lincoln on and talk about some of the other things. Like yeah, he's I, doing some new cool stuff now. You know, he's kind of out of games, but he's doing. It looks like he's yeah. He, I saw him stuff. at Twitch, and then he's doing something. I got to reach out to him. I'm I'm yeah. on, I'm with him on social, but I want to catch up with him. Yeah, I, I love guy. that dude. Um, the last story for wait, Grand Theft Auto. Wait, what? grenades though. If you're going to talk Grand Theft Auto and grenades, so you met Bruce here, who's our new PR director. Yeah. So he and I used to work together at Rockstar, and he was the PR guy there. And uh, they also wanted to send grenades. Um, oh. As um, <laughs> as media stuff, but the difference is they did right. I mean, they could. They didn't shut down like because they already knew how to. Get they sent them the directly stuff. to people. So they sent them directly to their media list, and uh, they got a call from wasn't like IGN owned by like CBS at the time or some yeah, one of the whatever the, um, yeah. yeah where the thing was whatnot and uh, yeah basically they uh, they evacuated the, uh, the floor the <laughs> I want you to go tell him my story and be like you think you did it you think you closed down we the floor this can shut down an airport um, yeah that's just good stuff which is you funny know, like the Godfather sending out brass knuckles and like they had to call those back I think I still have mine somewhere um, speaking of Florida though too in Grand Theft Auto um, you know in, in Florida you can get anything new you know where we used to they used to uh, record all the real weapon sounds like so the, in the game and whatnot. They would go. There's this this guy in Tallahassee, and it's like, what do you want? You want a rocket propelled grenade? Cool, do that. You want the real sounding? This like they would go. They would record the sounds down there. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they would. Florida go. man. Yeah, rocket grenades. Yeah, 
That's also my favorite. The Grand Theft Auto, you did the outdoor sign for Grand Theft Auto 4, and I fucking loved that. And I'm like, that is amazing. I want to go take a picture of it. Where in New York is it? You give me the address. I'm like, what the fuck is that? No one's going to see that. And he's like, no, somebody will see it. I'm like, who's going to see that? It's in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, it's out, whose bedroom? Is it Sam Hauser's? Is it outside Sam Hauser's house? Like, we just put it on the walls because he wanted to wake up in the morning and yeah, when he see would his come, when, he would, when he would come out to work, when he would come to work, he wanted to see when he came out the door. We have five-story outdoor art. It's good. It was, good. It was beautiful. Yeah. So great. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no worries. It's so fun.